0: Um, If I haven't met you yet, uh, my name is Zach. Um, I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and uh, I'm just, it's my pleasure to be with you. And uh, Pastor Rob, he's taking a little bit of R&R tonight, Um, you know, just some well-deserved, some well-needed rest, and so we're going to continue to endeavor through the book of Acts tonight. And so I believe he left off in Acts chapter 2, and so that's where we're going to be. We're going to be in Acts chapter 2. It's going to be fun. Do you guys love God's word? yeah all right. We'll get along. It'll be all right um, really quick guys uh you know how many I'm not going to ask this question i don't want you guys to raise your hands or whatever but um I I am a very avid book reader. Uh, I love reading books, uh, specifically, you know, just books that uh, help me in my faith and understand deeper doctrine and theology and uh, increase my understanding of the knowledge of Jesus and who he is and how he's working in the church and how he's working in the lives of believers. And so um, uh, I have a, a, a couple recommendations for you, but for really quick, raise your hand if you need a Bible, and Pastor John will actually give you one. Uh, but for those of you, because you're st- we're studying the book of Acts, um, there's, there's a really good book that has actually increased my knowledge of how the church operates and how God works within the church. It's a super fat book, um, and it's really large, but you, you only have to go at it little uh, pieces at a time. But it's actually called Church History in Plain Language by Bruce L. Shelley, and it's the entire history of the Christian church, um, all the way from uh, when in the book of Acts all the way until the Calvary Chapel movement. And so uh, it's an entire extensive uh, just history of the Christian church, and it's, it's given in a very plain, um, in a very understandable way uh, to where it doesn't, for simple people like me, can understand. So that's uh, Church History in Plain Language by Bruce L. Shelley, and if you guys want a podcast and you like listening to 20-minute episodes and not listening, um, there's History of the Christian Church, and that's by Lance Ralstein, who's actually the pastor of Calvary Chapel Oxnard. And just to let you guys know that, because it it will really open up your eyes to the book of Acts even more as we study it on Wednesday nights. So that is for you. If you want to talk to me about it afterwards, go for it. But for now, we're going to be in Acts chapter 2. But before that, I want you guys to go to Acts chapter 1 really quick. And we're going to do Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 8, and we're going to launch there really quick. We're going to read Acts chapter 1 first, verses 4 through 8. And we're going to pray, because we need Jesus. Amen. Acts chapter 1, verse 4. And being assembled together with them, he, being Jesus, commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, "'Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel?' And he said to them, "'It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, and all of Judea, and all Samaria, and to the ends of the earth.'" This is God's word. Are you ready? Let's pray. Lord, uh, you are so wonderful. Christ, I just, uh, I just pray that you would be at the center tonight. Jesus, that you would be at the forefront of our minds and the forefront of our hearts and the utmost in our affections. Father, I pray that uh, everything here tonight, Lord, would simply scream and shout your glory. God, I pray for our minds and our hearts, that they would be knitted towards yours. And God, that uh, me being young and foolish, Lord, that you would erase and eradicate everything I say, God, and may what is said by your Holy Spirit reign supreme, God. And so, Lord, we, we love you, we honor you tonight, and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. 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 So, as you guys learned with Pastor Rob, the last time you guys were in a study in Acts chapter 2, where he left off, is where the Holy Spirit finally comes, and this is known as the day of Pentecost. And just to give you guys a, a, a brief knowledge of who the Holy Spirit is, because I, I really do feel like the Holy Spirit is the forgotten God of the Trinity, really. We, we don't uh, give, we don't ascribe as much glory to the Holy Spirit as I think we ought to sometimes, but that is because the Holy Spirit has made himself the silent one of the Trinity, simply giving glory to Christ and glory to God. But the Holy Spirit, God is three, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all equal, Right there, there's none that is greater than the other. They are all one. They are all equal, and they are working in perfect unity and perfect worship towards one another. And, and to give you guys a, a kind of a, a, a knowledge of who the Holy Spirit is, because he, he he is very important. As it declares in Ephesians chapter one, verse fourteen, that the Holy Spirit is the the seal and the guarantee of our inheritance that 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 you will know Christians by their fruit the fruits of the spirit so essentially ladies and gentlemen that the holy spirit without the holy spirit there's no salvation okay Without the Holy Spirit, without the baptizing of the Holy Spirit upon you, without the saving grace and the sealing power of the Holy Spirit, there, there essentially is no salvation. Now, don't freak out being like, do I have the Holy Spirit or not? If you have accepted Christ into your life, he has been faithful to give you the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit, in the Greek word, it is pneuma. Pneuma, you guys can say it with me. Pneuma, pneuma. Now, now the Greek word pneuma, Holy Spirit, is, is, is a word for breath life. The Holy Spirit is simply known as the breath and life force of God. He is the life of God. He is the life of God manifest in the person of the Holy Spirit. Now, we're going to be wrapping up who the Holy Spirit is here in Acts chapter 2 as, as we study it, and but we see here in Acts chapter 1 where Jesus is about to leave, and the, and, and the disciples are like, uh, Jesus, are you going to now restore your kingdom? To Jerusalem? Are you going to bring a can of G Are you just going to, are you going to reign supreme as king? Are you going to take over the Roman empire? Are you ready, Jesus? Because Jesus at this point was resurrected. And Jesus actually ended up saying, it is better that I go. It is better for all of you that I leave because I'm going to give you my pneuma, my spirit, It actually says when Jesus resurrected that he breathed on the disciples and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. And he said, I'm going to leave, I'm going to depart, but it's good that I'm leaving you because you're going to receive my spirit. Do you know why? Because you're righteous now. You see, the, the entire force, the entire breath, the entire life behind everything Christ did was by the power of the Holy Spirit. It was all by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, Christ had access to the Holy Spirit. He had access to the breath of God, the life-giving breath of the Holy Spirit. Jesus had that because he was completely righteous. Now, we were unable to have this Holy Spirit, the breath of God, the life of God, because we are unrighteous. We were once unrighteous, as it declares in Colossians, alienated from Christ. Alienated from Christ. We are complete strangers. It doesn't just say that we didn't know God. It says that we were enemies of God. Ignorant in all of our ways. But when Christ came and when he died on the cross and when he took your sins and my sins and and when he took them on his shoulders... He, he destroyed our sin, and in exchange, he gave us his righteousness. Now, with that righteousness comes the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, can only dwell in somebody who is righteous. Christ being the only one. And if the Holy Spirit is the only way to get to heaven, the seal and the guarantee of our inheritance in the heavenly places, if the Holy Spirit's the only way we're ever going have to have fellowship with God, Christ had to die. Because only he who is righteous can be the bearer of the Holy Spirit. And so now we, so that's why Christ says, no, no, you don't understand. My work here is done. He's saying, He's saying, I died on the cross. I took away your unrighteousness and I put away, I put on you my righteousness. You don't need me here to rule. I'm giving you my spirit. That was the whole purpose behind me being here. Now, that was the whole purpose behind Christ being here on earth was that so he can live a righteous life that we couldn't, die on the cross, rise again, take away our sins, and give us the spirit so that we might occupy this land, that we might make disciples of all nations, right? And so, so the Holy Spirit, just, just as a, a, to, to predicate what I'm about to uh, preach to you, the Holy Spirit's very important. Holy Spirit is very, very important. Jesus died so he could take away your sins, and by doing that, giving you the Spirit. We're not powerless people. We're no longer victims, but we are victorious in Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. And so, turn to Acts chapter 2. And in Acts chapter 2, you see, we see that, that uh, earlier, the disciples, Jesus leaves, he ascends, he's like, peace, later, and they just see him fly, like, you know, like, this was before balloons, so nobody's used to something just like, floating, you know, and so, so they're just watching Jesus ascend, and they don't have the Holy Spirit yet, <laughs> right? So, so they're, they're just chilling here, the, 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 the huh, you know, what, what do we do? Right? And so the only thing that they really can do is they go into an upper room and they pray, uh, Jesus, you, you told us you're going to give us your Holy Spirit. One thing, not here. right? And, and so they're praying to Jesus. They're, they're praying to God and saying, Lord, bring the Holy Spirit. And finally, the day of Pentecost comes, right? which was a festival that they would go to. And they go to the day of Pentecost in the middle of all Jerusalem. And it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 1, it says this. This is the disciples. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. We'll stop there really quick. Jesus promised the Spirit. Then what happened? The Spirit comes, right? Jesus promised the Spirit. Lo and behold, Jesus fulfills his promises. Amen. So, so he promised the spirit. The spirit comes in a very unconventional way, weird tongues dangling, flapping in the fire. And they're just here. I don't know if they were just chilling on their shoulders. They were above their heads. I don't know if like the fires came in their mouths or I don't know if it was just a metaphor. Like those guys were on fire, that type of deal. I I don't know. I don't know. I just know it was weird. Okay. I just know it was weird. Notice how the Spirit also, though, enables them to speak in different languages. Now, now, some people have taken this passage of Scripture and declared that if you can't speak in tongues, then you're not saved and all this. Stuff. That, that's, that's not what the text is trying to communicate. The text is communicating this, that I don't care what your background is, preach the gospel. I don't care what your limitations are, preach the gospel. I, I, I don't care what your ethnicity, your socioeconomic status, your marital status. I don't care what it is. Preach the gospel, right? So there's all these people of different nations, different creeds, different backgrounds here. How are the disciples to minister to every single one of these people? Literally people from all nations came to the day of Pentecost, right? They had people from all different nations that they're about to list here. The disciples had no boundaries with the Holy Spirit. Guys, the the gospel is cross-cultural and has no boundaries. It is unlimited. It is unlimited, but also untapped by its people, right? In verse 5 of Acts chapter 2, you're going to want to stay with your Bible here, because we're going to just go through it together, right? No reading it, closing it, just listen to the pastor, right? We're going to be Bible study, right? Verse 5, and there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus in Asia, uh, and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya, adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytites, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Others mocking said they are full of wine. And we actually see that later on, Peter just says, Hey, we're not full of wine. You know, it's just the afternoon. Right? He didn't even say like Christians don't are never full of wine. He just said, No, man, it's just it's not the afternoon. It's only in the afternoon. Like, you know, that's why I'm not drunk, not because I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm just, you know, like, it's the afternoon. Who drinks that much in the afternoon? That's Peter's logic. But Peter and all the apostles have been now baptized by the Holy Spirit. They've been baptized by the Holy Spirit, so things get weird, okay? That is, that is the only way to describe it, right? The only way to describe weird tongues of fire coming in, huge booming noise, and everybody hearing one thing in their own native language, the only way to describe that is trippy and weird, okay? The only thing you can describe it as, and do you know what? Things get weird with God. (laughs) Things get weird. Things get funky. And I've said things and done things for the kingdom of God that would not be normal in any other context. Right? Think about the anointing someone's head with oil. In what other context besides the kingdom of God would that be at all logical? Right? Explain a, prayer, explain a prayer meeting to me, right? Weird. A bunch of people in a circle, hunched over, murmuring, and yelling amen to one another, right? Weird. I'm sorry. That, that shouldn't offend you. It's weird, right? If you're an outsider looking in, that type of stuff is funky. It's weird. But it accomplishes great things for the kingdom of God, right? It moves mountains, Okay, these things are beautiful but weird, and you know what? We need to embrace that. We need to embrace that Christianity is just weird. (laughs) Think about our gospel—the God of the universe coming down as a baby among barnyard animals, right? Think think about think about this. Think, Think about just the concept of our gospel a loving, all-powerful God murdering his son so that we might be his children? It's weird, but it works. And, and I feel like for me especially, I'm just trying to make Christianity so rad. And it's just not rad. It's weird. And we as Christians, Christ followers, need to embrace the fact that if we're going to be lights in this world, we got to stop trying to act like them we got to stop trying to act like the world. we got to embrace the fact that, you know what, we're going to look foolish. We're going to look foolish. But in the meantime, people are going to get saved, right? Nobody got saved because you try to make Jesus look cool, right? People get saved when you realize that you're not cool, right? And you just preach him. that's, That's when the kingdom of God works, when we just stop trying to be hip, and we just start preaching it. Right? And I know I'm, I'm, a, I'm a junior high, high school, and college pastor, okay? I have, to, I have to just embrace the fact that Christianity isn't cool or I will stress out. I will stress out trying to make it relevant to every single kid. Here's the bottom line. Jesus is relevant to everybody who is a sinner. Amen. I don't need to make him culturally relevant because the culture is going to change in like six months. Right, and so we need to understand that. But do you know what? Yes, the gospel is weird, and yes, it gets crazy sometimes. But some people just stop there. Uh, they think that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is someone to be showed off or displayed. They show off the Spirit like it's a circus, circus act. You know, you know these people I'm talking about. The people that think you have to speak in tongues every single time you pray. The people that have to pray louder than everyone else in the room. The people that, that have to dance with snakes to display their spirituality. Right? We, we see these people. People that, that, that they, 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 they display the Holy Spirit like he's some sort of circus act. And they think that it conjures up some sort of spirituality, but, but here's the thing. It says in John 16, it says in John 16, verse three, uh, 13 through 15, it says, However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me. For he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take off mine and declare it to you. The Spirit exists to glorify Christ. That is his first and foremost mission. The Holy Spirit's first and foremost mission, what is above everything else, is not making you look all spiritual, it's not healing you, it's not restoring you even. His first and foremost mission, though he does do these things, his first and foremost mission is to elevate the name of Jesus Christ. That is, that is the Holy Spirit's first and foremost mission, to elevate the name of Christ. You see, there's a difference between being spiritual and being spirit-led. There is a difference between being spiritual and spirit-led. Being spiritual is about, is about feeling the spirit in yourself. Feeling whether it means being Zen or whether it means being uh, charismatic being spiritual means to muster up this inner spirituality in order to make you feel secure about yourself. Being spirit-led is about lifting the name of Jesus Christ in everything you do and everything you say and all that you are. So there's a difference between being spiritual and spirit-filled. There's a difference between being spiritual and spirit-led. And we see here, we're going to be seeing, in and furthermore in the book, uh, the, the book of Acts, and especially in chapter 2, that the Holy Spirit causes Peter, yes, all these weird things start happening, but at the end of the day, everything settles down. Everyone's attention are on Peter and all the, all the other apostles, and we're going to see Peter's reaction. He gets their attention. He could, he, he gets their attention, and then go to verse 22. Verse 22. Acts chapter 2, verse 22. All the Holy Spirit just did this crazy, crazy thing to get everybody's attention, and many people stopped there with just getting people to notice them, whether it be super spiritual worship, whether it be the really gnarly prayers that you have in your prayer circle so everyone knows that you're super awesome at praying. Peter gets their attention, and he says in verse 22. Now, we're going to go all the way to verse 36, so hang on, all right? Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. Everyone knows who Jesus is, okay? Okay? This isn't like, you know, he doesn't have to introduce this new person, Jesus of Nazareth. Everybody knows it just happened. He says, him being delivered by the the determined purpose and the foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should not be held by it. Listen, listen, listen. Before we go on, I, I just get really excited over the word, and I get convicted. Because it's super easy for me to say, yeah, you tell him, Peter. You tell him. They crucified Jesus, right? They crucified the Son of God. He, he displayed all of his miracles before them. And I can't believe they denied him. They put him on a cross, and they spat in his face just days before they praised him. So yeah, you tell them off, Peter. But the fact of the matter is, With my sin, I'm the one who put Christ on the cross. If if nobody else in the world ever sinned, Christ would have come down and he would have died just for Zach Schultz. All my lust and greed and pride. That's why Christ died. Christ didn't die because of a conspiracy that the Jews had and their hatred for him. Christ died because he loves me and he loves you. So it's super easy for me to say, oh, yeah, they, they crucified him, the Pharisees, those people. But do you know what? Christ didn't die because they're evil men. He, he died because I am. I'm an evil man. And in my wickedness, I can do nothing to reach the Lord, but he came down and he saved me. Man, Hallelujah. verse 25, Peter continues, he says, For David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life, and you will make me full of joy in your presence. Men and brethren, Let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he both dead and buried and in his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. So, so, so Peter is taking all of these Jews, he's, he's taking them back to the Old Testament and he's saying, your patriarch David, the one that you high and in the highest esteem, he prophesied through God, God prophesied through David that there would be a Christ from his lineage and that he would die and that he would rise again. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God, Jesus God, has raised up, of which we are witnesses, therefore being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies a footstool. Therefore, let all those in the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you cru- crucified, both Lord and Christ. Peter, filled with the Spirit, glorifies the name of Jesus and preaches to these people. Here's the fact of the matter. You may have many spiritual feelings and encounters. But unless it brings you or those around you closer to Jesus, it's not led by the Holy Spirit. Okay? That's, that's, just, that's just how it is. This, because, we, guys, we, we live, and, and this is important for us as Christians to know because we live in a society that's so spiritual. Yeah, it's secular, but it's spiritual. We live in a very, very spiritual country, a time of meditation, a time of reflection, a time of searching your inner self, being one with nature. We live in a time where people are, are desperately seeking after spirituality. And people will, be, people will fight you and debate you on the fact that, that, that their spirituality is God, Right? The, 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 spirit, the spiritual realm, the, uh, the, the things that they surround themselves with, that is God. It, it is, it's, one of the, it's one of the most, actually, it, it, it's one of the most secret heresies that have swept into the Christian church, this experiential, right, spirituality, where it's all about how we feel in being Zen, being peaceful, and all about the love, which is good. It's good to experience peace. It's good to experience the love of Christ. It's good to experience just an inner peace and rest within your soul. However, the Holy Spirit, first and foremost, is to lead us in all truth and a knowledge of who Christ is. Who Christ is. Because spirituality may may be able to make you feel good, but it will never save your soul. Christ will. And so we as Christians, we need to make sure that we are pursuing God in, in, in the proper way that he has made available to us, right? And so we see in verse 37 now, you see the first function of the Holy Spirit is to glorify the name of Christ. And we're going to see the second function of the Holy Spirit here, um, how he operates in our lives. In verse 37, it says, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. So all the people are, are hearing what Peter has to say, and they're finally becoming convicted. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He'll come alongside people, and then he'll just, bam, right? You, know, he just, you don't know he's coming, right? They're coming this way. Holy Spirit's coming this way. Bah. You know, they just, he gets them. He cuts them open, and he goes in, right? He says right here, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. They said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? They're convicted. They're convicted by the life that these these Christians are living. They're convicted by the words of the gospel. They're convicted by the power that these men seem to hold. And they're just uneducated men from Galilee. These are fishermen and and tax collectors who were considered total sinners, right? These are men that society will never consider educated. However, they're able to capture the attention of thousands and thousands of people around them. So they got their attention. And with the words of the gospel, now these people are being cut to the heart. And they're saying, what what do we do? What do we do? And Peter said to them, repent. And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises to you and to your children. And to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Repent. You see, guys, here, here here's here's something that, that'll happen. If 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 you are faithful, guys, and and, and, and I, I want to make sure that this is clear, that, that the gospel is presented with character and conviction. Meaning the character of who you are and how you follow Christ will back up the conviction, the words that you say. Right? But faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God, right? So, so, yes, we are, we are to declare the gospel by being good examples to everyone around us, but that character and that good example that we establish is a foundation by which we are able to preach the gospel to people, right? That we're able to talk to people about who Christ is, right? And, and, and so these, these men, they have character and conviction to match it. And these people are saying, well, what do we do now? What do we do this gospel, that we, what, what are we supposed to do? And guys, it, for me, at least, it's really tempting when people ask this question, like, what, you know, what do I need to do in order to be a Christian, right? It's really easy when people say, what shall we do? Nobody talks that way anymore. But like, when they're saying, like, well, what, what am I supposed to do to be a Christian? What am I supposed to do? Now, now, now some of our temptation may be, you need to come to church, you need to come to my Bible study. Oh, you have to meet my pastor, right? You see, that's the temptation when when people are like, what do you need to be, what, what do you need to do to be a Christian? Because you notice that the American mindset is already like, what do I need to do, right? What do I need to do, right? How do I get her done in Christianity, right? How does that happen, right? What do I do? And here's The thing, and here's what you can just lift their burden automatically by saying it's not about what you do anyways. It's about who you are. It's not about how much you do, how many sinners prayers you say, how many Hail Marys you do, how many times you go to confession, how many times you go to church, how many Bible studies you attend, and if you have a good relationship with the pastor or not. That is irrelevant if you don't know how to simply just say, Oh, Lord, I'm yours. Lord, I'm yours. And along with me, my conduct and my actions and the way I live and my affections, they're all yours. And so it's super tempting when people say, what do I do? You could say, go to church. You could say, meet my pastor. Maybe they'll talk to you and actually get you saved. That's not it. You simply say, repent. Now, repent is a very iffy word, you know. It's a very harsh word because culture doesn't like repent and I think we've been conditioned to kind of think that it's a nasty word, you know, repent, but repent simply means you're going this way, go that way. That's repent. Repent means, listen, the pattern of life that you have been living has done nothing but cause you pain and misery. Yeah, you're happy a little bit along the way, but altogether you wouldn't be asking what do we do if you didn't feel like this is inadequate right? So you're going that way. The cross is that way, right? So, so the pattern that you're walking is going that way. If you want to be closer to God, if you want to be a Christ follower, if you want to be in his arms, just go that way. And he's already there meeting you. He's already there. And so, so they say, repent and let every one of you be baptized, Now, baptism is is also a funny thing that we kind of think is weird because there's so many denominations that have destroyed baptism, you know? Made made, made it just the salvific thing, like if you're not baptized, you're not saved, you know? Guys, baptism is simply this, you know? And I'm not gonna get into the crazy theology behind it, but I'm I'm gonna tell you simply, Calvary Chapel says, Right? Baptism is an outward expression of an inward faith. True. Deeper than that, it's you coming into the covenant of, who God, uh, of God. It's you coming into the new covenant. Right? In the Old Testament, they had circumcision. New Testament, baptism. You're, you're just saying, I'm part of the family of God. And luckily for you, if you are a part of the family of God, if you have repented and you have declared, Jesus is my Lord, you have an opportunity this Saturday at Leo Creole at the beach. We're doing a baptism. If you have not, been, if you are a believer and you have not yet been baptized, I'm telling you, it's a command. Does will it save you? No. Is it a command? Yes. Do you know why? And we're 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 going to learn we're going to learn pretty soon throughout the study that that being, being a part of who God is and being in Christ and being being in the Holy Spirit it means you're in community. It means you're going to be in community. And you being baptized is saying, "I, my life here is going to be an outward expression of what God has done for me. And in front of all these people here that are going to be my family, I'm going to be baptized. I'm going to identify with the grave of who Christ is. I'm going to go under the water. I'm going to be dead to my sin. I'm going to come out of the water. I'm going to be alive to Christ. I'm just going to declare it to everybody. So if you want information about that, we're going to have information back there, but it's going to be Leo Carrillo at 11, I believe. And we're going to be there baptizing people. If you haven't been baptized, come talk to us. We want to baptize you. Bring you into the family of God. Peter says, repent. Stop running away from God. What awaits you is the gift of the Holy Spirit when you repent. In Romans 8, verse 26, it says this. I give you a lot of Bible because I don't have a lot of good things to say. Romans 8, verse 26, it says, "'Likewise the Spirit also helps us in our weakness, "'for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. "'But the Spirit himself makes makes intercession for us "'with groanings which cannot be uttered. "'Now he who searches the hearts "'knows what is the mind of the Spirit, "'because he makes intercession for the saints "'according to the will of God.' And we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. So listen, we as wicked people, God loves us. He loves us and he wants to hear from us. But here's the reality. Sometimes we don't even know how to pray to him. You know, sometimes we come and have you ever just been emotional before God and just like you sit there and you just don't know what to say? You know, I don't know, maybe you're better than I am, but I've just sometimes sat down and just had no idea what to ask God. Just no idea. I know that he wants something from me. I know he wants me to talk to him and all I can really utter, yeah, I'm sorry. You know, I just, I'm me and I don't know how to talk to you right now, right? And and what's really cool, what says in Romans 8 is that the Holy Spirit who is in you knows exactly what your heart's trying to say. Holy Spirit knows exactly what your heart's trying to say and luckily the Holy Spirit is God and so God understands you. So listen, so the Holy Spirit, guys, and not only, it is not only, he is not only meant to elevate the name of Christ, but he is also meant to fill the gaps between you and God. Fill the gaps between you and God. Where you are lacking and weak, he will make himself strong in you. That's why it says Romans 8.28. Everyone loves Romans 8.28. Loves it. I cannot think of how many tattoos I've seen with Romans 8.28. If you have a Romans 8.28 tattoo, beautiful, awesome. I'm not trying to belittle you at all. Um, Seriously, it's amazing. It's an amazing verse. Often brought out of context, though, because it says, And we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Now, now, what people take it as is no matter what I do or where I go, God's going to make everything I do work out, right? So I could just go on doing my thing, and God will just pick up the broken pieces as I break things, right? And, and, and that's kind of what people use Romans 8.28 as, right? They're going through a hard time that they have caused themselves there must be a plan behind all this, right? The, there must be a reason by why I'm suffering. The reason is you're being an idiot, right? And, and, and I'm speaking a personal experience here, not you, right? Me. And, 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 and so I often take Romans 8.28 as, oh, I could do whatever I want, Romans 8.28. But what it really means is that the Holy Spirit dwells in me. And when I am unable to function properly, God has said, no, no, I've given you my spirit and you're called according to my purpose. Even though you're weak and even though you can't function right now because you're just a broken little child, I'm going to make you strong. I'm going to lead you in all truth. I, the Holy Spirit, will guide you. So it doesn't mean that no matter what we do, God's just going to, you know, fix it. Though he will, he takes care of you. What Romans 8.28 really means is that God meets us in the places where we are most weak and vulnerable, right? And so the gospel, guys, and and what the Holy Spirit does is it restores the believer to unity with Christ. It restores the believer to unity with God that was lost. Because here's the thing, in the Garden of Eden, uh, God created man with dust, right? Dirt. And, and so one of the, one of the greatest uh, verses, I believe it's Psalm 139, correct me um, if it's not. One of the greatest verses that just gives me so much comfort is it says, God remembers where you came from, that you are dust, right? <laughs> you know, and so that's so much comfort to me. It's like when I sin and when I totally mess up, I just remember... God, God's like, I know, I created you from dirt, you know? <laughs> like, I know you're not, you know, you know, I just get it, okay? That's, and, but, but God, he created us from this dirt, right? And we were without life. But what, what did it say? It said God breathed life into us. Ruah, breath of God. Use, same word used, then translated into the New Testament in Greek, pneuma, breath of God. Right? So when God first created us, he gave us his spirit and then we sinned, lost that breath of God, that life of God that he breathed into us. But now Jesus Christ breathed on his disciples and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Right? And now we have the spirit. So what we lost in the fall in the garden of Eden, we now have again. We have that unity with Christ once more. We are now able to walk with him as Eve and Adam did in the garden. Unity with God is a beautiful thing. Do not forsake the Holy Spirit. Do not forsake him. Do not grieve him with your sin. So, so the Holy Spirit, in essence, he is, he is meant to glorify Christ and he is meant to restore the believer. And then we see in verse 40, he does something else. Go to verse 40, Acts chapter 2, verse 40. And with many other words, Peter, he, testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and their goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continually, daily, with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. Whoa. And the Lord added to the church daily to those who were being saved. Doesn't that sound epic? That's how church is supposed to be. Like people like are dumbfounded and write books upon books on how the church structure is supposed to work. And th- that's like a paragraph. And it tells you that's it. You follow the doctrine and the teaching of the apostles. You, you sell what you have or you give what you have to help the needs of other people. You go to the temple and worship corporately. Then you go into each other's houses and eat together and enjoy one another's company and you gain favor with men, right, in the culture around you, then the Lord adds it to your numbers because you're preaching the gospel. Like, that's, that's church. We're dumbfounded sometimes. Oh, what church am I supposed to go to, you know? You know, we're, we're just like, we're so confused as to what church and eschatology and what is it. Guys, this is church. Plain. Simple. Right? So simple. This is church. You preach the word, you have fellowship with one another. You preach the gospel. <laughs> right? oh, it, it, I, I love what they said. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. They bore one another's burdens. They prayed with one another. Ate together. Now remember that these are all people with different economic, ethnic, and relational backgrounds. These aren't all Jewish people, okay? These aren't all people from Rome, right? These aren't people from like the same, like the black church, the Hispanic church, the white church, right? That's not how it's supposed to be. Okay, and so these are these are people with different economic, ethnic, relational backgrounds. It's not like just married couples go here or all the young people just go here. Right. That's not how it works. These are different people unified by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit, it glorifies and exalts the name of Christ, brings us back to a restored relationship with our creator God, and then it creates this relationship between believers. It creates a unity among us. The Holy Spirit is in the business of bringing people together. As it declares in Ephesians 4.4, 4, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in the hope of your calling. One body of Christ. One spirit. So there's no, that's why if we hear at speak. we're so not jaded against any other church in the area. In fact, we actually encourage people to go to other churches. Were you guys here Sunday morning? A new church is being planted. Pat, what did Pastor Rob say? He's like, hey, if you feel called to be at this body, go. Because we're all one body. There's no church competition, right? There's no who can get the most numbers, who can get the most baptisms, who has the coolest worship leader, right? That's not how it is. And so we're all unified, right? That's a beautiful thing. In 1 Corinthians 12, 13, it says, for by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and all have been made to drink into one spirit. One spirit. Guys, the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, kindness, patience, gentleness, self-control, all these, goodness, all the fruits of the Spirit, all the gifts of the Spirit, the gifts of helps, the gift of hospitality, uh, the gift of preaching and teaching, the gift of shepherding and pastoring, the gift of uh, knowledge, the gift of wisdom and discernment the gift of prayer and mercy, all these spiritual gifts that have been made available to us, all the fruits of the Spirit, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, all of these. Have you noticed something about all of these? They're interpersonal. Have you noticed that? If the Holy Spirit dwells in you, you become no longer just a personal being. You become an interpersonal being. The Holy Spirit, Christians, those who are filled by God's Spirit are not people who simply keep to themselves. Because if the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit are abounding in you, you become an interpersonal being. You become someone who interacts with society around you. You become someone who creates relationships within the body of Christ. Because Jesus said, you will know that they are my disciples by their love for one another. And you will know them by their fruit, the fruits of the Spirit. How are you supposed to display the fruits of the Spirit if you just stay in your home, stay in your job, and don't talk to anybody around you? A Christian is an interpersonal being. Someone who is empowered by the Holy Spirit and someone who is dripping with the fruits of God's faithfulness needs to share them, right? needs to share of the good nectar of the holy spirit man so good look around the room all of you have one spirit all of you uniquely gifted by god you know that because i i feel like there's some people that feel so inadequate about themselves like I, you know because they have been shoved this christianity down their throats where you're a sinner you're a sinner you're a sinner you're a sinner repent 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 do you know what yeah you're a sinner why christ died for you he gave you his righteousness he doesn't see you that way anymore and so you know guys church has this has this ability coming coming to church and and being a part of the christian culture it can have this this effect on people where they just feel like it's just about telling you what's wrong with you and correct it. You know? You guys ever feel that way? Because I feel that way sometimes. And it doesn't matter what type of church it is, no matter how solid the teacher is, I think that's just kind of the atmosphere that can sometimes be created in our own hearts. Right? What can sometimes be created in our own hearts is that Christianity is a list of, list of rules that ought to be followed, kind of showing you how you measure up between you and God and you and other people. And here's what you need. You need to correct A, B, C. You're good with D, but correct F. You know what I mean? And so that's kind of, the, that's kind of what starts to happen. And so we'll start serving the kids' ministry, or we'll start serving in some sort of other ministry, or we'll start going to more Bible studies because we feel like somehow it makes us more righteous, and maybe it will hide that insecurity we have in ourselves. And listen, I may be saying we, but I mean me. I get so insecure sometimes that it becomes more about what I do and what I do, and I somehow get my righteousness from that. And, and if you're anything like me, if, if there's anyone in here that is like me and self-condemning and so consumed with pride, I want you to understand that Jesus is so in love with you. He's so incredibly in love with you, and if he can fill up somebody like Peter, someone who denied him several times, who always had his foot in his mouth, lost faith, always doubted, had a temper. Guys, look at the disciples, right? We have Peter, Peter the tax collector, equivalent to a dirty politician that nobody likes. That's 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 where tax collectors were back then, you know. They're the ones that we yell at, right? The people that we declare, ah, oh, you know, this person in government, so, oh, all these, per- those are the tax collectors. Jesus loved them, right? And some of you feel like that, you know. Oh, man, I could I keep going. Simon the Zealot. Guys, zealots back then, there was a word for them. If you look at Josephus, they were called daggermen, assassins. Right? Jesus chose people like that. Chose people like that. Fishermen, lowly fishermen, can never go anywhere. Paul, a murderer of Christians. All these people were stored by Christ and his gospel. So restored and filled by the Holy Spirit. And and, and what I'm trying to get at in all of this, guys, is that following Christ is not a series of self-condemning and correcting. Living by the Spirit and fulfilling the Great Commission, it it is not a series of uh, self-reflection, self-deprecation. It's not like that. It is not decrease thyself it is increase christ it is not make sure that you are seen as lower and lowly and pointing out all of your issues it is elevating the spirit of christ and what he wants to do in you living by the spirit as peter did and as john did and as all the other apostles are preaching here living by the spirit is bearing the fruits of the spirit and using the gift of the Spirit to bless those around you, not because you're trying to prove anything, not because you're trying to prove any sort of spirituality, but simply because you have been loved and redeemed by Jesus. And you just, you overflow. A tree never has to worry about bearing fruit. It must simply abide in the vine. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches, and he who abides in me will bear much fruit. And so Bible studies after Bible studies or ministries after ministries or no matter how much you declare to know, because here's the thing, Peter knew nothing. He was a Galilean, right? Galileans as a general people knew nothing, and he was a fisherman in Galilee, so he really knew nothing, right? (laughs) right? So it doesn't matter how much Bible knowledge you think you know, if you grew up in church or you didn't, I don't care. Neither does God. He wants to use you by, not by your own knowledge, your own power, your own strength, your own diligence, but by the Holy Spirit who lives in you. Glorify the name of Christ. Restore your relationship with God by repenting and create a community that brings the kingdom with love and power. This is the function of the Holy Spirit, who is God. The Christian life, and I don't even like to say Christian very much. I just, because it's only used in the Bible like twice, you know? you know? You know what it usually is? In the Bible, it's in Christ. You know, the word Christian was only really used for outsiders to describe us. Christian means little Christ or Christ follower, that already means that there's something we have to do. You know, just that name itself means there's something we got to do, right? Just like Americans, right? We got to do something. And so I would encourage you, Christian, that's just how we're labeled, okay? Okay. It's, it's a name and don't have, you don't have to worry about it not using it or whatever because people will know what you mean when you say Christian. But when you think of yourself and your relationship to Christ, I want you to use what the Bible uses. I am not a Christian. I'm in Christ. I'm in Christ. He has brought me into himself. He has brought me into his family. He's brought me into his life. I haven't done anything. He's brought me in. I'm in Christ. I'm in the vine right? I'm in the vine, so I'm going to bear fruit because I'm in him. I'm planted in him, right? As it declares in Psalm 1, planted beside still waters. I'm in Christ. And I, I really want to encourage you guys, as, as you think of yourselves and as you identify yourself, stop saying, oh, I got to follow Christ. I got to follow Christ. If I make a mistake, it's all over, right? You were in Christ. Rest in him. Abide in him. Be in him. And out of that being, not doing, because we're human beings, not human doings, okay? We're human beings. And so we're going to be in Christ. And so I, I, I mistake being with Christ and doing things for Christ all the time. And I, you will hear that almost every single time I preach to you because it is something that I struggle with the most. And as Pastor Rob always declares, you preach something that is always working in your life because I know I'm not alone. You're a human being, not a human doing. You need to be in Christ and allow God to consume you in all that you are. As it declares in Hebrews 12, verse 28, and I'll close with this. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. Our God is a consuming fire fire. Oh man, God loves you. He wants to consume you. He wants to light you on fire. Why is the Holy Spirit always identified like with a fire? Because he's he's consuming. He came down on a tongue of fire because as it declares in James, a, a, a tongue can light up a room. A tongue can destroy somebody, but it could also warm somebody up. God associates himself with a fire. Someone who is terrifying, but comforting, right? Who is powerful, but useful, right? Let God consume you like a fire. Amen? Amen. Amen. Lord, uh, we love you. And I just, I, I, I pray that that your Holy Spirit would dwell in us. God, that we'd be baptized by your Holy Spirit. Lord, that we would not ignore your Holy Spirit. God, rather we would see it abiding in you and your Holy Spirit as a byproduct. God, thank you so much that you've died and you made us righteous that you can give us your spirit. Lord, I, I just pray that I would live a life that mimics you, Lord. And, and I don't want to be like you because I feel like I need your approval. I don't want to be like you because I feel like that's what I'm supposed to do. I want to be like you just because I'm around you so much. And Lord, I just just pray that same thing for all of us, God, that you would consume us, that you'd wrap us in your Holy Spirit. We love you. May the church, God, not stop here in the four corners of this building, but extend into our community. We love you. We praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, guys.